When I was 16, I was diagnosed with anorexia. I was an athlete, a lively, energetic teenager, a kid who followed the rules. And my friends and my family watched me shrink into a shell of my former self. Now, on top of the sports I played, I discovered fitness when I was 15. I started small, a few foot push-ups here, a few sit-ups there. And then I started some watching some of the early YouTube fitness influencers and diving into some of the early Instagram fitness accounts. And honestly, there wasn't that much good information out there. These people I looked up to online told me to do more, to work harder, to eat less, and so I did. Completely missing their intended meaning and taking their advice specific to their situation and applying it to myself, even when it was absolutely the wrong fit. I remember the first time I intentionally stopped eating while I was still hungry. I remember increasing my lifting days and my running mileage, even when I had cross-country practice or basketball practice in the afternoon. I was so fixed on becoming stronger, faster, leaner, that I completely ignored the good advice of my coaches, my friends, and my parents. And suddenly, my weight dropped below a certain threshold, and boom, my brain just couldn't process the concept of food correctly. Suddenly, I just couldn't see how my 16-year-old body that ran cross-country and played basketball and worked out six days a week needed more caloric intake than my five-foot-tall, 45-year-old petite mother. See, I was approaching the basic necessity of eating from completely the wrong place, and it ended up sending me down a dark, dark path. Now, as we've been going through this series in the book of James, the group of believers that he's writing to are coming at their faith from completely the wrong place, too. See, they're using the good news of the gospel as license to live the lives they want to live apart from Jesus. Now, what we've been saying throughout this series is that our faith should be authenticated by our actions. And so last week, Tana talked about forgiveness, and what a beautiful picture of that, faith being authenticated by action. This week, we're going to be looking at the second half of James 2. Now, this is the point where James lays out his thesis statement. So James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says to you he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, this is what James is all about, this idea that a theoretical belief alone does not create a robust faith. In fact, the rest of James is an application of this single powerful idea that faith without works is dead. Well, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? See, James is written in uh, a proverbial language, so he's very black and white about it. But the reality is there's a journey here. But it does beg the question, what about you? What about me? Are we living out a faith that's real and apparent in our lives? Or is your faith just an eternal life insurance policy? It shouldn't be. 
point of our faith journey is that we are consistently pursuing knowing and becoming more and more like Christ in all aspects of our lives. It's not an easy journey, but it's not supposed to be. But it's a journey we're called to as believers. James goes on in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Let's look at that passage real quick. See, James is showing us a mock conversation here between someone who's boasting about faith for faith's sake versus someone whose faith is authenticated by their actions. He's basically saying, show me your faith apart from your actions and I will show you that my faith is authenticated by my actions. He goes on in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, I don't know about you, but I want a faith that's much more robust than the faith of a demon. I mean, talk about a counterfeit faith, right? You believe that there's one God, congratulations, you have finally caught up with the demons. In the 1980s G.I. Joe cartoon, each episode would end with a PSA, now you know and knowing is half the battle, in the context of some kids unintentionally doing something dangerous like running out into traffic. The implication here was now that these smart kids know better, they will never make the same mistake again. Well, that's just practically not true. Cognitive scientist Lori Santos coined this the G.I. Joe fallacy. Think about that in your own experience. Maybe you're a coffee drinker and maybe you decide to stop drinking caffeine for a while for whatever reason. You know how to stop drinking coffee, but that certainly isn't half the battle, right? The truly difficult part is actually doing it. There's so many other factors than just knowing, like the force of emotion, habit, the situation, the physical dependency. Think about the headaches, the grogginess, and then your friend has a coffee and it is the best thing you have ever smelled in your entire life. With all this in mind, it feels like knowing might only be 10% of the battle, and that the actual application is the remaining 90%. Well, that's true in our faith too. See, simply believing in Jesus should only be a small fraction of what our faith can be. And the other 90% is applying our faith to our everyday lives, who we are at work, at home, what we do with our time, our God-given abilities, our money should all be radically different than if we didn't know Jesus. Think about that for a second. Imagine uh, if we stopped and thought about how we use our time. I know people my age and younger tend to spend at least eight hours a day staring at screens. And I know I spend at least that much time, probably more. Two and a half to three hours of that time is on social media. Can you imagine if Jesus was walking the earth today? How many hours a day do you think he'd spend swiping through Instagram or making TikToks? Think about that for a second. Jesus making TikToks. See, Jesus, the point is, I don't think Jesus would spend much of his time doing that. Now, I'm not saying screens or social media or TV are inherently a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I think they're often a great way to relax or connect with friends. But the point is, nothing is good when we allow it to get in the way of our relationship with God. The whole idea here is, what if we modeled just a small part of our day after the practices of Jesus? I think many of us would be radically different people. Okay, I wanna talk more about that later, but first I wanna finish the rest of this passage. So James 2, 20 through 22. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by work when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. See, the two go hand in hand. One without the other is not a complete picture. Now, it's so easy for us to look around and see the people in our lives, other Christians not living out this calling, the person sitting next to you. But guys, this isn't about them. It's about you, and it's about me. If I take a quick look at my life, it doesn't take me long to find areas where I might talk the talk, but I don't walk the walk. Maybe for you, you're all about having a strong, healthy marriage, but when you actually stop and look at how much time do you spend with your spouse, you realize, man, I talk the talk, but I don't walk the walk. Or maybe for you, you're all about trusting God to provide in every situation, but when you actually stop and look at your calendar, you realize, man, I just run around trying to provide for myself, and I don't set aside any time to just spend with God. Or maybe you're all about meeting people where they're at and giving them grace and accepting them, but then there's that one person. Everyone besides them gets grace. Maybe you find yourself talking about them behind their back, and man, guys, faith without works is dead. Now, there are three types of people who hear a passage like this. And it's kind of like one of those halftime pep talks that all of us have experienced in some way, whether in real life or on TV or in a movie, where the coach starts getting a little too worked up. Maybe he starts yelling a little bit. One third of the team gets super pumped up and motivated, ready to get out there, change some tactics, and beat the other team. Another third kind of deflects the pep talk. Maybe they cross their arms a little bit. And then they get back out there and don't really change their play and just continue to play the game. And then the final third turns to shame. You're right, coach. We should try harder. We should be better. But we just can't. So we're going to curl up in a little ball of shame and guilt and wish the game was over. Now, if you land in that first group, the group that gets motivated by pastors like this, awesome. Get back out there and keep playing the game. We wish we were all a little more like you. Now, if you're here and you land in that second group and you just don't care, well, you should, but I understand. There's been some seasons in my life where I've been there, where I just don't care. And there are two things that have always brought me back. Number one is law. Now, I'm inherently a rule follower, so this is obvious for me, and I know it's not that easy for some of us. But I want to remind you, we are always practicing something that can be works of faith or works of sin. 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone that makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Or Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I want to look at that real quick. That word trespass, it comes from the Greek word peripatoma, is a lapse from truth. It literally means to fall aside or to fall away. See, falling away or falling aside isn't a sudden thing. It's a gradual thing. It takes time, a slow wearing away at our faith. 
like a giant rock washed by the ocean waves without reinforcement will eventually wear away piece by piece till that's all that's left is small grains of sand. See, God has requirements and expectations for our behavior, and that's what the law is all about. The second thing that's always brought me back is getting myself in a place where I can find awe and wonder in the good news of the gospel again. What Christ did for me on that cross. Now, everyone approaches this differently, but for me, it's been solitude in nature, just seeing the wonder of God's creation, even when things are absolutely not okay inside, has always awakened new spiritual life in me. Now, if you land in that third group, the shame group, you might curl up a little bit, curl up into a little ball when you hear a passage like this. Well, I get you too. In the middle of my eating disorder, I met with a mentor at the time who was going to school for biblical counseling. And apparently he wanted a little practice on me. So he sat me down and literally went through a PowerPoint on what I was struggling with was wrong, that it was a sin, and that I must stop immediately or else I'd go to hell. Cool. He helped heaped guilt and shame on me for a good half an hour before asking if he could pray for me. <sighs> now, I know if you go and visit our care department, that will not be the experience you have. Now, thankfully, I hadn't grown up in a shaming home or a shaming church culture, so I emotionally brushed it off and just kept on fighting my battle. But that conversation left a little residue of shame on an already difficult season. Shame for not being better, for not trying harder. Shame for me, for my story. Now, I recognize that some of you struggle with shame, and hearing an admonition like faith without works is dead can really bring you some of that shame welling up to the surface. But you know what? Try harder, do more, be better, just doesn't work. Remember, God gives us grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And because God gives us grace, we should give ourselves grace too. Not license, but grace. This past fall, our church staff went through a book together called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. The whole concept of this study was to look at our past, our habits, and the often untrue beliefs we hold about ourselves, about others, and about our faith so that we can uh, move past the surface level of Christianity and begin transforming into emotionally mature Christians who can experience a deep, lasting change beneath the surface of our lives. And boy, it was not fun, but it was powerful. Each chapter of this horrible little book was packed with challenging and often painful insights. Embracing your limits, understanding your family of origin, finding the treasures buried in grief and loss. The concept that hit me the most was this concept of be before you do. Now I realize what I'm about to say might seem counterintuitive. As a matter of fact, it might sound like I'm saying exactly the opposite of what I've been saying this entire time. But the key to doing is actually not doing. The key to doing is actually being. See, being before we do is the idea that we cannot do for Christ without first being with Christ. That if we don't slow down and rest in God, we will overextend, overexert, and eventually burn out. 
The whole purpose of being with God is so that we can be emotionally and spiritually full. And when we get to a place where we can actually become deeply aware of ourselves, of others, and of God. Another key thing is that our being should be sufficient to sustain our doing. This is a cyclical thing. Be with God. Do for God. Be, do, be. Let's look at 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. Let's look at the word abide. To remain, to stay, to wait. This is being in action. See, there's intentionality to it, right? You can't run around going a million miles an hour while abiding in God. It's just not possible. He goes on in the text, verse seven. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. See, righteousness is a practice. It's active. But how do we get there? Back to verse six, by first abiding in him. It's just like faith and works. One without the other is dead. Doing for Christ without first being with Christ is almost equally as counterfeit. Do, do, do is what our culture is screaming at us. And I get it. Life just doesn't slow down. But we have to make the choice to be, be, be with God. And so that we can be filled up spiritually. And so through that being, we can do for God. It's not an easy choice though, right? As a matter of fact, it's incredibly countercultural. And I'm the type of person who wants to take this knowledge and rest in God for a good five minutes and then get back out there and overextend myself in doing but you know what? That's a little bit like that one friend who always stops at the gas station and puts $10 in the tank. They are all, almost always running on empty. If I had more hours in the day, I, oh, it would never be enough. My tendency is to go, go, go until my body forces me to stop. And in the case of my eating disorder, it did. I don't remember much about that time in my life but I remember sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor recommending that I be admitted to an inpatient eating disorder recovery program because if I lost any more weight, uh, there was a significant risk of heart failure. I remember finally realizing that I had a problem. I remember my parents allowing me to try gaining weight one more time before I was admitted. And I didn't. I remember gaining my first pound and then 10 and then 30 and then 50. And after a long journey filled with setbacks and tears, we were on the other side. My brain worked again. I wasn't just a skeleton of myself anymore. I was physically whole. See, similar to faith without works being dead or doing without being eventually leading to burnout, I learned that in my case, physical fitness without proper nutrition could literally mean death. But it was when I could get with my doctor and with my parents that I realized I needed to slow down and look inside of me. I realized I wasn't thinking clearly. I realized I needed to trust people who cared about me and not just the people on the internet. Well, that's all being. And that being allowed me to do the things I needed to do to heal. In our last series, we talked about our bodies and the limitations that come from being an embodied spirit. And one of those limitations is that we need to rest. What better way to rest than to rest 
in Christ. And in our next series, we're going to be talking about Sabbath and this idea of building in intentional time to feed and refresh your spirit. Both of these concepts are so powerful, especially when we look at the practices of Jesus. See, Jesus did a lot of doing, but he also did an incredible amount of being. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus went up to pray, Matthew 14, 22 and 23. Immediately, he made the disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Or look at this. First, uh, sorry, John eleven six. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. This one kind of blows my mind. If one of my friends were in the hospital, I think this passage should read something like, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he got up immediately with the 12 disciples and went to where Lazarus was. But being was so absolutely essential for Jesus that he stayed right where he was for two more days. We need space for the Holy Spirit to work in us and so that he can work through us. If we're able to learn to be with God first and then to do out of that being, everything changes. So what can we do with this? Well, I have a few actions that we can add to our faith today, this week, next week, next month. First thing is keep an eye out for emotionally healthy spirituality, our emotionally healthy spirituality class coming up this fall. Um, this is similar to that uh, study we went through as a staff last fall. See, as a church, we're going to be diving into what it looks like uh, to deal with some of those hard things in our lives so that we can grow into people with deep, profound faith. And I'm just super excited. Second thing, this Wednesday, July 20th, the Justice Run, organized by Fear Freedom, Fierce Freedom, they're one of our share partners. Uh, they raise awareness for human trafficking. This is just a great opportunity to get out there and do something right now, this week. You can run, or if you don't want to run, you can volunteer. The third thing is to serve around here. It takes a ton of people to make this place run on a weekend. And some of our ministry areas could really use your help. Our students' ministry and our children's ministry, uh, our facilities team keeping the lawns mowed and the snow shovel. Or, shameless plug, you could come volunteer in production with me and the amazing team of volunteers that I get to work with every weekend. And we work so hard to make sure that you all have a great experience when you come through the doors on Sunday. Check out the serve page on our website to see all the opportunities to get involved. The next thing is the next series we're doing. It's called Sabbath Rebel. And we're going to be doing four weeks where we talk about what it means to integrate rest into a busy life how to make being a function of doing. So if you're here saying, ah, I need this, what can I do with this? Well, show up to church. You are not gonna wanna miss this. Finally, get baptized. See, baptism is just an abandonment to yourself. It's an act of saying, God, I'm yours. It's an act of resting in him. Talk about being in action. Splash is coming up August 28th, and if you think that baptism might be your next step, check out the baptism page on the website. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank, thank you that you are the God of being, the God of grace. Thank you that we do not need to be enough on our own because each of us would fall short. I pray that each of us would examine our hearts, Lord, and reveal to us areas of our lives where we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. Through this examination that we would strive and hunger to be people who become more and more like you each day. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming out today. Our last outdoor service is next weekend. We'll see you there.